Oh, my heart has already been blessed this morning with the um, adult ed class. You really did miss something if you weren't here to uh, hear uh, Pink Davis share what uh, the Lord's doing in New Zealand and uh, through them. And uh, he is going to now come and share the word with us. Pink and Selena have been uh, missionaries for 10 years. Is that, is that something like that uh, for about 10 years? And um, the church, well, they've been associated with Daniel's Bible Church at least that long. And, and so we have uh, part of the sharing the responsibility to see that they get out there and have the opportunity to minister. They have been ministering in New Zealand. And uh, the Lord is obviously using him. You'll see his passion for missions. And uh, so I'm going to ask uh, Pink Davis to come and uh, share the word with us. Well, thank you again, church, for allowing us to come and, and just interrupt what you guys, you guys got going on here and, and just being part of what God is doing in the Daniels. I want to open up first by, if you have your scriptures, would you open to Philippians chapter 1. I just want to echo the words of the Apostle Paul. As he says in Philippians 1, starting with verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that's how I see we have joined up with you all in the gospel ministry. We have partnered together uh, Brother Don Flager, who's now walking by sight, no longer by faith, he is with our Savior face to face. It was through his contact we were able to be a part of what God is doing here. And I thank God for that opportunity. But I just want to say thank you. It's been over around 10 years since we have partnered together. And that's a long time to partner together. So thank you very much. I want to introduce my family. Uh, I believe my children are in the children's ministry, but my wife should be here unless she's probably heard this message before. She's probably like, ah, I, don't want, I can go to sleep now. And, uh, but uh, my wife, is uh, her name is Selena, and my oldest daughter's name is Eliana. Middle daughter's name is Alia, and youngest daughter's name is Israela. I have three girls. I was telling Joanne this morning, she tells me she's going to have another boy. I said, that's a lot of t- testosterone in that house. And then... And in my house, there's a lot of estrogen I got to deal with. And so, uh, so I, I think for Joanne and I, we can know how to pray for each other. And, uh, and so that's my family. I, I told the Sunday school class how my youngest daughter was born. I think it's pretty cool that I was able to be a doctor for a day. And um, long story short, my, my wife was ready to give birth. I was an insensitive husband, not ready to, uh, to time the... To the, the, the contractions and all that was involved. And when she was ready to give birth, she said, in our home, and that was not planned, she said, I am pushing. And I said, pushing what? And she said, I'm pushing the baby. And we argued for about five seconds. And I just yielded, obviously having no reason to continue arguing because the baby was about to come. And I called the midwife. The midwife told me what to do to get a warm towel, put it on her lap. And there... You know, when I was young, I used to play football. So I guess I was, hey, this was a good, great time to put that into practice. And uh, so basically I was there to, once I saw the head and the arms, I pulled her out. And as we say in New Zealand, Bob's your uncle. That means everything's good. And so, so it was, uh, it, this is us. Me, Selena, Ileana, Ale, Israela. We're in New Zealand. 
We're in Wellington right now, the capital city of New Zealand. We're there so that more may worship. I didn't say it this morning, but I didn't use this reference. But how many of you saw the movie Nanny McPhee? Anybody put your hands up. Yeah, put two hands up just so I can see. <laughs> uh, Nanny McPhee, you know, uh, someone saw Nanny McPhee and... And they Facebooked me and said, hey, I saw Nanny McPhee and I thought of you. And I'm like, why would you think of me when you see Nanny McPhee? She's ugly with warts and all that, you know. And I'm not a nanny. (laughs) And uh, But they said basically uh, the the response was Nanny McPhee's how she worked. She said, when you need me but don't want me, then I must be here. But when you want me but don't need me, then I must go. And that's how we work in missions. We're there till we're not needed. We said that from day one when we arrived in New Zealand in 2008. We arrived in Aotearoa, as we say there in New Zealand, land of the long white cloud. When we arrived on their shores, we told them from day one, we're here to where not needed and we're going to go wherever God leads. And that's been our message. And so far we've worked ourselves out of one church in Oakland. Now we're seeking to work, work ourselves out of another church in uh, Wellington. So be praying for us. Pray for our church, Community Baptist Church, that God's word will go forth, as Isaiah 55 says, and not return unto him void. It will accomplish what he set it out to do. And lives will be transformed by the power of the gospel. And we, I see what you guys got going here, making disciples. Pastor Carl and I will talk about that this morning. We have truly partnered up because that, that is what we are all about, is making disciples, for that is truly the Great Commission. Well, this morning, I want to bring your attention to that book again, Philippians. So if you have not opened to it already, would you open it to it? Philippians. And as we turn there, I want to give you a little bit of backdrop here. In Acts 16, we find this account. The Apostle Paul has made his way for the first time to Europe. Modern-day Greece. This is where Philippi would have been. And as he's in Europe, as was his custom, he would go to a place, to a city, and look for a synagogue. There, at the synagogue, he would proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ as the Hamashiach, the Messiah, that the Jews have longed for, and still, unfortunately, they're still longing for the coming Messiah, though he had already come. Well, he didn't go to a synagogue, did he? As we see in Acts 16, he went to the beach, and he didn't go, young people, for a tan. <laughs> he didn't go for a swim. He went there, as Acts 16 tells us, hoping to find someone who were praying. And there we find, we, we see that he finds a lady by the name of Lydia, who was a seller of purple material, which would have been a good business at that time. She has some friends there that she was praying with. And what we see from the scriptures, the word of God tells us is that she was a God-fearer. And what we see from that portion of scripture is there are people who worship God so they think and they fear God, but they worship God unknowingly or in ignorance. But though they're totally sincere, she worshiped God under the old covenant. Though Jesus had come, she never heard of him. And now Paul, the word of God tells us, her eyes were opened to the gospel. She got saved. The word of God tells us her household got saved and they got baptized. Well, as time went on, Paul and Silas are continuing their journey. And lo and behold, there's a demon-possessed young lady who are proclaiming the truth about God and, and His servants. 
But Paul was annoyed. And he said to the demon-possessed girl, he exercised the demon to come out. Well, that annoyed her, her authority, the ones that were over her. And so they beat Paul and Silas. And the Word of God tells us at midnight, Paul and Silas began to complain and to whine. Why is this happening? Why did God do this to us? She's like, no, you better not be saying that. (laughs) The Word of God tells us in Acts 16 at midnight, I don't know why it said midnight, but for whatever reason, at this strange hour of the day, they're up singing and what? Praying. And I love what the next part says. And the prisoners were listening. Young people, adults, listen very closely. It's important when you read the scriptures, you read every single word. Because it's easy to miss certain phrases. Oh, that's just, that, that doesn't mean anything. You know what? It says the prisoners were listening, which I think was important because when they had an opportunity to go free, they didn't. Why? Well, the Word of God doesn't tell us. But we can conclude based upon the singing and the praying they may have heard the gospel and maybe they wanted to hear more. Well, you know the rest of the account. The Philippian jailer who had guard over them that night. The earthquake happened. The bars were open. The shackles came off. And the Philippian jailer, assuming everybody was gone, that the jail was empty, he took his sword and imagine the Matrix movie right now. He took his sword and he's getting ready. He took it out of his sheath and part of, like, bring it in this way. And it's probably slow motion. Who knows how it's going? But you can see Paul coming saying, No! Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, what does the word all mean? All. All. They all stayed. Though they were free. I think sometimes we get confused. What is the blessing of God? Don't we? That's the blessing of God. I tell people, someone provides, a young person gets a job, an adult gets a job, and it takes them away from ministry on Sunday. It takes them away from their family. But they're saying, that's a blessing from God. Anything that takes you away from God is not a blessing from God. They could have easily said, this is a blessing from God, and we're just going to take advantage of it. But they all were there. What, is the, what does the Philippian jailer ask? Sirs, what must I do to be safe? Oh, that every person would ask that question. We sang about that this morning. And Christian, I encourage you to go forth and declare that you are truly a Christ follower. Not just with lip service. But through a heart of gratitude for the gospel. And may it affect your life through what you say and do. May you go forth. Proclaiming through your life and your words that you are a Christ follower. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be safe. That night, the Philippian jailer, his whole household, they got saved. They got baptized. Why do I bring this up? Because these two instances are the foundational or the beginning, the genesis of the Philippian church. Now, if that doesn't strike a nerve, again, to Paul's custom was to go to a synagogue. In order to, for there to be a synagogue, you must have ten men. In a Jewish community, you must have ten men. You can start a synagogue. How does Paul start the church? 
Oh, my word. He starts it with a lady. Praise God for ladies who are God-fearers, who are raising their family, who are involved with their family, teaching the word to their family. And he starts it with the guy who's going to commit suicide. (laughs) And there, a church is started. So, Acts 16. I mean, fast forward in the book of Acts. We come to chapters 25 where Paul makes a declaration that is very interesting. Read the account. I encourage you. Acts 25. He appears before those who were judging him. And he said, to Caesar, I make my appeal. And it was weird because the word of God tells us he didn't have to do that. They were going to let him go free. But he said to Caesar. And if you know history, you would know that Emperor Nero, who different for different times and different reasons, killed the Christians. Paul is asking to go into his presence. Acts 26, he makes his way to Rome. Acts 28, he's in Rome. And the word of God tells us right at the end, he has his own hired house. He was there in this place. He was shackled to a guard that they would change shifts every few hours. Literally, he had a captive audience. That was supposed to be funny, folks. <laughs> Literally, every few hours, he had a captive audience. And uh, why do I bring this up? Because for two years, he didn't just soak in sour. During that two-year time, in his own hired house, we would call it um, here um, um, house arrest. House arrest. In New Zealand, we call it home detention. He was like on house arrest. But he didn't have a bracelet on his ankle. He had a, a, a shackle. But he didn't soak in sour. How many of you have gone through a trial and you got angry at God? How many of you have gone through some hardship and you just questioned God's guidance? You questioned God's love. You questioned God's presence. You questioned God in every way possible. But yet, you came out as pure gold eventually. Paul wrote four books in those two years. Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, and Philemon, or Philemon, if you will. He didn't soak in sour in those two years. He wanted to still be about his father's business. It is with that backdrop that we see in Philippians 1, we see Paul reminding the saints at Philippi, And the leadership over what God has called them to do. And that God is going to do a great work. He is reminding them over what of of, of his message. Of why he's doing what he's doing. Of why he is in prison. He says, some have preached the gospel of trying to hurt me. But some have preached the gospel out out of a good conscience and a good heart. He says, nevertheless, I praise God the gospel is going forth. And then he shares what, what my life verse is. Philippians 1.21 For to me to live is Christ. I encourage you, write down somewhere today, write down a piece of paper. For to me to live is, and I want you to stop. Write down on a piece of paper, on an iPad, on your phone, whatever. 
For to me to live is, and then you stop and you take inventory of what you love and live for. I know a lot of mothers, for to me to live is my children. I know a lot of dads and men, for, to leave, for, for, for me to live is my job. Don't try to be all spiritual and put in what you're supposed to write. You put in what is truly in your heart. You understand? Put is put for to me to live is. For Paul, the apostle, it was Christ. He said, and if I die, I gain the ideas. I'm going to pray in the presence of God. Am I losing anything? No way. No way. In Philippians 2, where we're going to spend our time this morning, in Philippians 2, 1 through 5, we're going to see life with the church. Life with the church. And he goes on and talks about one of the greatest passages of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not know what you believe about Jesus, study Philippians 2. It will tell you who he is and what he has done. Philippians 3, he is found on that. And he tells us more how to live the Christian life. And in Philippians 4, unfortunately, he addresses an issue between two prominent ladies who even served alongside of him. And they had issues with each other, and he names them by name. Let's put this in real time. How would you like it? You put your name. If Pastor Carl says, I address you such and such, you probably will say, who do you think you are naming my issue? <laughs> right? And you probably won't come back unless you're Pastor Carl's wife or children. <laughs> well, Ruthie says, I have to come back. <laughs> His son says, if I don't, he's going to, you know, he, you know, he's going to do something. <laughs> Paul writes this letter. After he, res- he gets a visit from Epaphroditus, Philippians 2, Philippians 4, he gets a visit. The church sent Epaphroditus to give aid and support and encouragement to the apostle. And Paul, after finding out what's going on, he writes this letter of saying, basically, thank you and I rejoice with what God is doing in your life. But there was an issue he had to deal with. And you know, saints, this morning, since I stepped foot on your campus, you now have an issue (laughs) because your church is no longer perfect. (laughs) For I am here this morning. So you have an issue to deal with. (laughs) Here we see Paul takes his time and he builds his case of getting ready to admonish these two sisters in the Lord. And I think this is a great way to admonish our fellow believers who are living in sin, who are caught in a trap, whatever you want to call it. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if there's a person overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore there. The word restore in the Greek is to mend a broken bone. It's not easy. It doesn't feel good. But it must be done. If you've got a broken bone in your body, I guarantee you, you're going to want that broken bone to be healed. And if you know a fellow believer, a brother and sister in Christ, who's living in sin, who's caught in a trap, is somehow got involved in a worldly life, you who are spiritual, you who name the name of Christ, you must seek to restore that person. But the Bible tells us, do it in a spirit of meekness. 
not slamming them over the head. You know, the thing about forgiveness is we forgive and we move on. You don't bring it up. You don't bring people's past up against them. But you encourage them according to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. That's the backdrop. Now we're going to deal with this text. So I trust by now you should have found Philippians. <laughs> Has everybody found Philippians? If they haven't passed the curl, come on. In making disciples, you might want to start with where the books of the Bible are. <laughs> Everyone's not found Philippians, say amen. amen. Philippians 2 verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, I want you to look at me real quick. Who sees the word if there in their translation? Put your hand up. Now, I want to see. It, do you see the word if? I-F in verse 1. Do you see that? Put your hand up. Now, let me see who's not raising their hand because you either sleep or lying. <laughs> oh, come on, come on, come on. Put your, put your hands back up. Let me see. Uh, come on, come on. Who, who's sleeping or lying? Come on. Okay. The word if there, the word if, let me kick off my shoes. For those in New Zealand, they know how I preach. I, I, I preach b- b- barefoot. And that's just, uh, uh, my, my wife tells me when the shoes go off, it's time to get real. <laughs> the word if there. We use the word if, like, I need to lose weight. I was telling Joanna this morning, oh, man, I, I normally do CrossFit. Anybody know what that is? CrossFit. My wife this morning, some of you saw this morning, she was getting ready to deadlift 265 pounds. And, and that's because the guy that, that I was talking about, Aaron, he was a CrossFit trainer, so he trained her. And that's another way that we've been able to influence him. But I have, I, I, as you can tell, I don't do CrossFit now. I have two injured shoulders. Due to my injured shoulders, I've gained a lot of weight. I'm tired. I'm tired of it. I told my wife, I got to get it off. And she says, well, hello, go running. And I, 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 I respond with, I would go running if it wasn't raining. <laughs> See, that word if there is a conditional statement, right? Right, men? I would do the dishes, honey, if I, wasn't, I didn't work all day, right? <laughs> I worked all day. I'm too tired. I, you know, this word if in the Greek is the assumption. Is like an assumption word. It would be like the more in the Greek, it would be like saying since or because. You don't know this, but since I've been here, I've noticed how you react with one another. I love doing that with churches. I like to see how you treat one another. And from what I've perceived as, and you would understand this when I say it, as an outsider. Meaning I'm not here every week. Does that make sense? I perceive that you are an encouraging church. That you truly seek to actually have fellowship with one another. And that's what Paul is saying here. So since there is encouragement in Christ. That's kind of the first point this morning. As we live life with the church. Can I encourage you to be an encouraging church? As you live your life with your fellow believers. Be an encouraging church. Oh, boy, but here we go. I told you it's time to get real. Ephesians 4.29. Say Ephesians 4.29. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Folks, every word that comes out of our mouth ought to be for the edification of a fellow believer. Every word. Every word. 
But what do we do? We use our words to slander our children, to slander our spouses, when our bosses sometimes get on our nerves. Come on now. We use our words, as the book of James tells us, for, for blessing and for cursing. And he doesn't stop there. He says, my brethren, these things ought not be. I assume you are an encouraging church. Would you continue that? Would you use your words for an encouragement? Secondly, he says, if there's any comfort from love. I want to ask you a question. I want you to raise two hands. And if you want to raise the roof, raise the roof. How many of you need comfort? Put your hands up if you need comfort. 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 How many of you at one time in your life needed someone to come alongside of you and to be there for you, to have a shoulder? (laughs) This lady's like, yes, yes. I was 20 years old. I was at a friend's house. January 19-something, 90-something. I got a call around midnight, something about midnight. I got a call around midnight, my mom called me and said, Junebug, that's my nickname. You think I had a weird first name. My real name is Pink, my nickname is Junebug. She said, Junebug, your brother's dead. I said, well, Mom, I got several of them. Which one? She said, Tony. And I broke down. Because Tony was not a believer. As far as I know. He knew the truth. Much like you young people, you grow up in church. You've heard this before, right? John 3.16, God loves you. Live for him. Read the Bible. Pray every... You know, you hear this. You, you sing the songs. And then when you go to uni, you try to live your own way. You want to do what you want to do, no longer what mom and dad wants you to do. And then you get into trouble. Mom, mom, dad, I need help. And you know what I want to do? I want to smack the children's heads, man. Knock some common sense. My brother was that way. He had gotten a lot of trouble, in and out of jail. That night, he was shot to death by a 16-year-old kid who I went to school with. All over $10. All over $10. I can tell you this. That night, I needed comfort. The next day, I was at a friend's house, as I said. The next day, I went home, and I thought it was a dream. And I, I went home, and sure enough, my family was outside mourning. Like a Jewish community, when a death happens, the Word of God tells us they wail. They mourn out loud. And When I went to my family, I thought I would receive comfort. But what I received was, was Junebug, he killed your brother. You got to go kill him. And as a born again believer, part of me says, I mean, I mean, I I I should say this as a brother of his part of me says, you're, you're right. I got to go get revenge. But as a born again believer, the word of God says, love those who persecute you. Bless those who are your enemies. So I told my family, without even thinking about it, I said, no, I will not. And they did not give me comfort. They gave me anything but comfort. 
You see, church, how you're supposed to live? Do you know someone right now who's going through a hard time? Huh? Do you know someone who lost a job, lost a loved one? Things are just not going good. Maybe they're questioning God's goodness. You know that phrase, God is good? All the time, all the time, God is good. I tell the people who say that, do you say that when you're going through a trial? Do you have those same words coming out of your mouth when things are not going the way that you planned? When your child is sick, maybe sick unto death, are you still saying God is good? That night, the next night I should say, after my brother died, I went to my bedroom crying and weeping. And I said to God, I need your comfort because that's the only place I was going to receive comfort. And he took me to Philippians 121 for to me to live as Christ. I was no longer from that point on. I was no longer going to teeter totter. You know what I'm talking about. I was no longer trying to walk the way I want to walk. But yet walk the way on Sundays and Wednesdays. Oh God, I worship you. Oh God, I praise you. Yeah, I, I wear the Christian clothing and I look like a Christian, you know, and all that stuff. And and I am a Christian, but I want to live the way I want to live. No longer that. I said, God, from this point on, if it costs me my life, so be it. I'm going to live for you no matter what it costs me. And God said, oh, really? <laughs> and I am where I am because I have stayed true to that commitment to follow Christ no matter what. Paul says, keep being encouragement, church. Keep being encouraging, church. Also, comfort one another. Next thing, he says, any participation in the spirit. The word participation there in the Greek has the word, it is the word koinonia. Say koinonia. It means fellowship. And I'm not talking about fellowship over fried chicken. <laughs> I love fried chicken. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you come together with another believer and you just talk about the goodness of God and what God is doing in your life and how he's blessing you and, and maybe how God is maybe taking you through the fire. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God didn't save them from the fire, but he was with them in the fire. And he allows us to go through those things so that we could come out on the other end the way that God wants us to be. But of course, we can't see that on this side of the fire, right? God, why can't you do that? How can you do that? God says, trust me, my daughter, my son. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. No, God, but I don't understand. Trust me. I the omniscient one, the omnipotent one, the omnipresent one, the loving one, the sovereign one, the creator of all things that are good. I know what I am doing. My son, my daughter, trust me. And when we come together and talk about such things, we're having fellowship, koinonia participation it says in the spirit how can that be because when you get saved the spirit of god places you in the family of god when god does the work of god when you hear the gospel of god then you can have fellowship in the spirit be an encouraging church be a comforting church be a church that loves the fellowship when i lived in south oakland I ministered to mainly, me and my wife walked alongside of the Polynesians. And the Polynesians have a communal 
uh, mindset. Meaning, how many of you own a home? How many of you own a home? Okay, how many of you have a um, two-car garage? <laughs> how many have a two-car garage, one-car garage? In New Zealand, your home would not be your home. <laughs> it's your family's home. So anytime your in-laws want to come, they just come. And they live in your, your, your garage. <laughs> That's how it is. And you think, wait a minute, I must talk to my wife. Nope. Nope. Honey, didn't you discuss it? It was your mother. It's always the mother-in-law, right? I'm just joking. (laughs) It's a communal. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. It's a village mindset that when you have something and I'm in need, you, you give it to me. But in a Western mindset, we do this. I stand here. You stand there and we shake hands and we want our space, don't we? We crave our space, don't we? Come on now. We, we you know, when I, when I spent time in Chicago with the uh, Mexican people, I had a young lady who would literally get this close to me and talk to me. I thought she was going to kiss me every single time. I said, lady, I kept doing this. I kept pretending I had bad uh, breath, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, you know. Because I'm not just, I wasn't used to that, right? In Wellington, that's kind of the idea as well. Is we're dealing with another culture in Wellington. We're dealing with another culture. And uh, where basically people want their space. And I'm like, come on, man. Do we not realize that fellowship was, the, was a foundational uh, 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 thing that spurred the church to make the impact that they did? In Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship. The word devoted there, it is not, oh, I have time to do it now, so I'll do it. No. You know what I tell people today? We no longer are part of biblical Christianity. You know what what we're part of? Convenient Christianity. When I have time, I'll serve the Lord. When I'm bored, I got nothing else to do, then I'll do what pastor asked me to do. No. Are you offering yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service? I encourage you, saints, if you have not fellowship with one another recently, and you know the best time to fellowship is somebody's home. Then the walls break down, and you get to know each other. Not just the Sunday clothes Christian, but you get to know the Christian that you can walk with every single day. Fellowship. One more thing. Here it is. Any affection and sympathy. Since there is affection and sympathy, the word affection there in the King James is the word bowels. Husbands, tell your wives, I have bowels for you, honey. She'll probably tell you, go to the bathroom and take care of it. (laughs) The word there, bowels, it it is the word like, I care for you. In the Greek, it is the word splinknon. Splinknon. We get our word spleen from this word. We get our word spleen. It's the place next to the heart where the affections or the care comes from. So, man, be careful saying, I have bowels for you. Say, honey, I love you. But that's probably a better way of communicating that. And he's saying, now notice, there's an issue he has to deal with in a church. But he's saying that there's affection. 
and their sympathy. The word sympathy is the word mercy. In New Zealand, when I meet a Maori fella, the traditional way to greet one another is I, I shake his hand. He shakes my hand. He puts his shoulder, his hand on the opposite shoulder. I put my hand on his opposite shoulder, and we pull each other close, and we touch noses and foreheads. So it's like that. You're like, and, and, court, and according to their belief system, you, then you breathe. You touch noses and you breathe, and according to their belief system, you are breathing in the other person's life force. Of course, that's not true according to the Scriptures. They have a very belief, a system very different from the Scriptures. But I love greeting the men that way because it gets me out of my comfort zone. When I meet the Samoan fellas, and the Samoan fellas, what we do is we slap hands like you see in football and basketball. You slap hands and then you hug. But when they hug me, they kiss me on the cheek. The first time that happened, I said, this is awkward. (laughs) Coming from a lady, a sister in Christ, I understand that. Coming from a man, a brother in Christ, or not a brother in Christ, this is weird. But you know what? Now I'm so used to it. I see a Samoan fella. He hugs me and doesn't give me a kiss. I tell him outwardly, where's my kiss, mate? <laughs> you know, and of course, they, he knows what I mean. <laughs> That's how we show affection. That's how we show care. How do you show care here at the church? Shake hands, hug. How's it going? I, I pray you actually want to know how's it going. Not that, how, how are you doing? You don't really care. <laughs> how do you show affection? And let me ask you this. It says affection and sympathy. Don't answer this. Don't show any outward sign. Don't raise your toes or point your nose. (laughs) Has anyone in this church rubbed you the wrong way? Has anyone in this church ever or is rubbing you the wrong way? And I don't mean rubbing you like get up to you, you know, and like, okay, okay, that's awkward. Get away from me. (laughs) I mean, they get on your nerves and you see them and you go on the other side. That's not how God will have us to live. And if that is happening, please go before his throne asking for forgiveness and repent. Because God wants you to have affection and sympathy or mercy for one another. Why do we do these things? Real quick, look at verse 2. Paul says to them, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, not talking about the vehicle, and of one mind. What is Paul saying here? On based on these four things, I want you to be unified. And that is where I want to hit home today. That often when a church gets started, and I'm a ch- church planner, and so I, I totally understand this. When a church gets started, or when the church does something new, everyone is excited, right? Yay, pastor, let's do it. Let's go for it. And the pastor's like, do I really have your support? Do I really have your backing? Yes, pastor, let's do it. How much does it cost? $1,000. Okay, pastor, I don't think so. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. When we set off on an adventure, we're excited. The captain of the ship, the Lord Jesus Christ, says to the first mate, Pastor Carl, here we go. Pastor Carl gives the orders. Church, this is where God is leading us. And you set off, and you're, and, and you're going forward, and you're going full steam ahead, but then you hit some waters. I'm tired. Why, I'm, why am I rowing so hard? And look at her. She just kind of like, and why do I have to row this hard? Don't we, can't we just take our time? You know what I'm talking about? 
when the church starts to go forward and people take their eyes off of the, 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 the captain of the ship and the orders that he has sent forth through the, the first mate. They take their eyes off of where God is leading them and what do they do? They put it on me, myself, and I. Paul says to the church, complete my joy. We see in Philippians 4, he tells them, you are my joy and my crown. But he says right here, complete my joy. Be unified. Be in full accord. Keep rowing. Keep going in the same direction. Take your eyes off yourself, mate. And put them on Christ. But not only unify, but look at this, the next one. Do nothing Say nothing. Say nothing. I only heard two people. Say nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility or lowliness of mind, count others more significant than yourself. Ooh. Don't we have a hard time with this, don't we? Because <laughs> we want to have it our way, like Burger King says. <laughs> Have it your way. Do what you want to do. Live your life. And right now, and I can't stand this because it's affecting the church, be happy. Is it good to be happy? Yes. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The word of God says you are blessed. But when you are talking to a friend or a loved one, who is living contrary to scripture, I just want you to be happy. Not biblical. It may be what people want you to do today, but it's not biblical. You want somebody to be happy? Tell them live according to the scriptures. You want somebody to be happy? Tell them do what God wants them to do, no matter what. Have courage and do what's right in the midst of what's wrong. You want them to be happy? Do that. Not, oh, you can live that way because I just want you to be happy. Oh, man. Do nothing from selfish conceit or ambition. This is what I want in the church. I want this. I want this. I want this. Ooh, don't you see what you're saying there? You're saying those same words of the father of lies who said, I will ascend to this place. I will ascend to this place. I will be above the most high. You're saying the exact same words. You're saying the exact same words that Satan himself said. And we're being selfish sinners who are saved by grace. Don't do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Folks, can I encourage you? This is a process. Maybe you think, oh, I got a lot of work to do. And maybe you do. But start with one and keep working. Keep allowing God to work. Keep allowing God to work. Keep allowing God to work. Why do I bring all this up? Because of verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Folks, if we're going to be a missions-minded church, 
if you're going to continue to pray and to send and to support missionaries around the world, starting in your Jerusalem and your Judea, if you're going to have this mindset, you must keep unity and you must keep harmony how you treat one another at the focus of all that you do. But why should you do that? Because of verse 5. Because the goal of the Christian life is to live as Christ will have us to live. To live Christ-like. To be more conformed, Romans 8 says, to, to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are conformed to his image, we will, I guarantee you, be humble. Is that, a, is that true? If we are reflecting Christ, we will be humble. How do I know that? Because the word of God tells us he was humble. And we're going to see next. I mean, we're not going to see it, but you can see for yourself. He humbled himself to death, even the cruelest death known to mankind at that time. And if Christ can humble himself in that way, leaving heaven, coming to earth, taking on human flesh without the sinful nature, Humbling himself to death. How dare we say, I cannot humble myself to you? How dare we have the audacity to say, I cannot humble myself to you when Christ humbled himself to all mankind? Death on the cross. And we are called to represent him. That's why you imitate him. Verse 5. If you imitate him, you will be humble. And if you're humble, you will have fellowship with fellow believers. When you have fellowship with fellow believers, I guarantee you, you're going to find out some things that is going on in their life that maybe there's some areas where they are broken. Things are not going good. And your God can use you to comfort them. And then when you comfort them, you must seek to be an encouraging believer. You must. Is that what God, God is, is that my words? No. You just read it for yourself. As you live with one another from week to week, day to day, this is how God wants you to live. I meet too many Christians who say, I don't know how to live for Jesus. Come on now. Philippians 2. Imitate Jesus. That's the goal. That is the ultimate. Imitate Jesus in everything you do, everything you say, from the intents of your heart. It, your ashes will flow. And when you imitate Jesus, you will be humble because it is no longer about me. It's about him. It's no, no, no longer about what I want. It's about what he wants. You will comfort. You will fellowship. You will encourage. Why? Because Jesus did. So I have a simple question for you as I finish. Do you want to be like Christ? Be careful. Be careful how you answer. Well, why do I say that? How many of you have ever prayed for patience? <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't pray for patience anymore, she says. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> how many of you pray for patience? You know what I'm talking about. You pray for patience. God allows trials to come in. God allows things that's going to test. Do you really want that? And do you really want to live like Christ? Be careful. Because God will allow 
what it takes for you to go through the fire. Jesus went to the cross, did he not? Did he go just to the cross? No. Was he on the cross? Yes. Did God spare him from the cross? No. He was on the cross for six hours. Six hours. God will allow what it takes for you to be more conformed to his image. When you truly say, I truly, I genuinely want to be like Christ. Do you want to be like Christ, church? Here's something I want you to do. For those who genuinely want to be like Christ, can I encourage you to tell somebody else in the church? Can I encourage tell your pastor? Why why do I say that? Because I, I want your pastor and whoever it is you tell to be praying for you and to encourage you. If you truly want to be like Christ, tell somebody. Tell your pastor as well so they could be praying. Let's pray. As your head's about, I just want to ask, is there any area that we talked about this morning that you are struggling with? Maybe you struggle with using your words for encouragement. Maybe you struggle with comforting others. Maybe you struggle with, you know, spending time with other believers outside of Sundays. Maybe you struggle with lowliness of mind or humility. Maybe you struggle with ultimately imitating Christ. Can I ask you just to surrender that to the Lord as a, you know, the song said, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Would you spend that time now talking to your Lord and Savior for those who name the name of Christ, who have received him by God's grace and through faith? Would you tell him what's upon your heart? For he already knows. Father, we thank you for the message that you have given us this morning. Thank you for the encouragement from your word. Lord, thank you that uh, we we can fellowship with one another, that we can be an encouragement and be involved in each other's lives. Uh, Lord, in that process, as we do that, may we reflect the attitude, reflect the mind of Christ, and that is humility. May we do it with humility. May we be a humbled church. Lord, we... Thank you for the encouraging day already. And Lord, even the rest of our day, may we honor and glorify you in a spirit of humility with one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.